expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are at episode 72 of Down and Nerdy, where I just realized that no matter how much he lets himself go, the thing will always have rock-hard abs. That is a very true statement, indeed. Think about that. I mean, he can just, I mean, married or not, he can just kind of do whatever. He can go to Denny's as much as he wants. Doesn't matter, because he'll always have the, not Stephen Amell abs, but at least rock-hard abs. <laughs> that is very true. I'm the Merkel one Nick Pataglia, always alongside. And I'm James Witham. So happy that you enjoyed last week's show. It was so great to have the creative team from Black Canary on the show and a lot of entertaining stuff that we talked about last week. Exactly from, you know, Brendan Fletcher's love of movies to Annie's love of fashion, just a lot of other different things. Great, great, awesome interview. It was so much, so much fun. So is the Wu fan clan thing going to catch on or? I think it has, at this point, it has no choice but to catch on. Should, do we need to help her and come up with something else? I don't know. I don't know. I think we may, maybe. All right, well, well, we'll work on that. So if you've got, if you've got any other ideas for what Annie Wu's fans should be called, just let us know, downandnerdypodcast at gmail.com. By the way, a little bit of a factoid here. James and I are actually recording in Underoos to this week. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, I, uh, you, of course, rocking the uh, Aquaman Underoos, and I'm rocking the Super Mario Underoos with the uh, little Tanuki tail on the back. Is that a tail, or did somebody not quite make it to the bathroom on time? <laughs> well, you know... These are meant for, like, ages three and six, so turtling kind of uh, gives you a tail. I understand that. So what you're saying is Einhorn is Finkel, and Finkel is Einhorn. Exactly. Okay, just making sure there. That's what that breeze was. <laughs> I was the, wondering. <laughs> not to the full extent of Einhorn is Finkel, and Finkel is Einhorn, but, uh, yeah, kind of, sort of, maybe. Well, I mean, the difference there is, is that you know it's laces out, so. <laughs> Yeah, right? That's the difference. You want know, to know something? Going back to that Finkel's Einhorn, Einhorn's Finkel, I remember my mom and I, my mom bought Ace Ventura Pet Detective when it was on VHS. It, like, just came out. And she says, let's watch this. Now, mind you, I'm like seven, I think. <laughs> so when that scene happened, my mom was just horrified <laughs> of like, oh, my God, my seven-year-old son is seeing this. Okay, I got one for you. Okay. Uh, I, I was a little bit older, so this isn't quite as bad. Okay. But um, it was myself, my cousin, and my mom. We all decided to say, let's go see Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, shit. And I'm sitting there with my mom in certain scenes. You know what I'm talking about. It's like... Uh, I have on DVD. I, yeah, uh, I know exactly. It's like, oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm saying... <laughs> I mean, you don't know from the previews, you know, you don't know from the trailers and stuff what you're about to see. So it's like, ah, oh, come on, man. This yeah. is a little awkward. And I mean, it's, I say we've all got those stories. Though. It's so awkward. Like when you're when you're watching a movie, like even now, my parents like, you know, my parents came down from New York uh, in May. And, you know, even like watching a certain movie or even even playing Mortal Kombat in front of them is so like uneasy yeah like yeah i'm like do i want to do a fatality yes i do is my mom watching <laughs> yes she is i'm sorry mother 
And Nicholas, what is that gurgling sound? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And why why do you have the why is there a tent in your sheets? Um Mortal Kombat came out with a new Scorpion fatality. <laughs> uh, shifting in your chair un- uneasily. I know. Want to make sure your hands are visible at all times. Yes. <laughs> oh, new cheat code. Oh, Jesus Christ. Or, or was, or was, I just blew up something with the Batmobile. I'm, I'm sure sorry. you did. Yeah, I'm sure that awkward moment's going to happen with myself and my wife and Jameson where we're not going to know and he's not going to know, and hopefully that doesn't happen too soon. But coming up next, we've got what we're reading. Of course, always brought to you by the fine folks at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards of Virginia Beach. We're going to dive into something brand new from IDW, and we'll talk about that next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer Brendan Fletcher, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We got those long boxes, and we discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment is always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards and Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and the gang and all the great comics and magic cards and art and just T-shirts, everything your little nerd heart desires. They have it over at Fantasy Escape. Now, James, this week, of course, we're doing an IDW property. We're doing Transformers Combiner Hunters, which is actually a one-shot. And it's pretty cool because it's almost like the fallout from the Combiner Wars. And it looks like it's also going to tie in to the main Transformers run when it picks back up with, I believe it's issue number 43 that's going to be coming out. And it's very interesting. A lot of the female Transformers being worked in and spotlighted in this arc specifically. Exactly. And before I get to the people who are on the creative team on this, when you talk about that, it has even more of a sense of a royalty aspect when I, when I was reading it too. And it's kind of cool seeing all these female Transformers kind of get their own foray and showing, really showing their strengths in this book. And, of course, it's written by uh, Marjorie Scott. The art's done by Sarah Petrie Durasher, who was actually, before this one shot, she was actually working on the Transformers games and actually packaging art before being put on the, on the one shot book. Uh, colors, of course, by uh, Yamashi and then Tom B. Young did the letters. So when I read this, again, you read the opening and there's this enigma which pretty much, if anything happens to it, this whole piece that's really, even though it's there, it's very, very shaky. If anything happens to it, in a bad, you know, stolen, which of course gets stolen by RC, but if anything happens to where it gets destroyed, it can pretty much destroy everything. Yeah, I mean, there's peace right now from the Combiner Wars, but of course, Starscream's in a position of power, and anytime you've got somebody like Starscream in a position of power... It's going to be very shaky. The temper there is very short fuse. That's always been with Starscream, even since the beginning of the t- of time in Transformers. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens going forward. But like you said, when RC steals this, then of course you've got Windblade and Chromia that mm-hmm. are tasked with kind of keeping this safe and safe. And like you said, everything just seems very uneasy throughout the first beginning part of this issue. Exactly. It, like, and it's just, you know, it's kind of like, you know, time of peace has been happened and everything else. And all of a sudden this enigma, this combiner enigma gets stolen. And then from there on, it's honestly like, you know, and that's the thing about being a one shot is that you throw in a lot of action in it. There's not a lot of comedy. There's not a lot of parts you got to really build a lot of narration into it, mm-hmm. but when it gets stolen by RC, man, it just takes off, and it was a really, really fun read because it's just something that, like, it's just nonstop action, and you're really seeing a side of these 
Transformers that you really don't get to see a lot of. Right. Not only that, I mean, the, the chase, actually, what's funny, it's, it's almost like a co- legit car chase. Yeah. They're trying to race down RC, and then they kind of end up on the outskirts, and they find these torchbearers, which are kind of like uh, the outcasts. <laughs> Uh, of Cybertron kind of thing, and they're kind of pushed to the side, and what they call like the junk heap or the scrap heap kind of thing, and they were they were part of the Combiner Wars as well. But there was a big reveal of a new Combiner in this issue. Do we want to talk about? Do we want to kind of give the name and everything? Do we want to let? We'll give the name. Around? We'll give the name. Um, the the name of it is Victorian. Yes. And my God. Yeah. What? It's one of those beast. it's one of those things where the kids are fighting and yeah. then the adult walks in and like says enough is enough kind of thing you will stop that right now and it very much had that vibe and the sheer size of Victorian you can actually <laughs> there's a panel in this in this book I I won't tell you what page it's on cuz I want you to it's past the Victorian reveal where RC actually tries to go after Victorian, and there's a wide shot. And you can actually see the massive size that Victorian really has. It's pretty amazing. It's 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 one of those things where RC, when she goes after him, or it, I should say, and it's just it's one of those things where like Victorian just looks at at RC and is kind of like really like yeah. you know yeah like I'm this big thing, and you know your sword can't penetrate my armor and everything else and you know when you're reading this book and the thing is again it, it it's geared i want to say i want to say it's geared to a female audience but it's kind of geared towards everybody if you're a transformers fan oh, you're a guy or, or or you know a female reader and the reason why i say it is because towards the end it has a great message to me which is and it really to any reader that gears towards you know don't fret about how people view your outer body and look and be careful who you are and it's just one of those things where it's not beating you over the head with the message. It's just – it's one of those things where you take – where you read right. it and you're like, that felt good. It was well-placed too. Nothing about this book felt forced. Nothing no. about the female Transformers didn't feel like they were being shoved in our face. And I did feel like there was underlying social commentary in there about, about body image. And uh, there was a line about uh, not liking – Transformers being changed against their will or bots being changed against their will. Yeah. I thought that was a big thing. And I thought maybe this is part of the whole, you know, social commentary on transgenders that's going on right now and body image in specific. They had that whole uh, hashtag campaign uh, a couple of weeks ago where teenagers were posting their, you know, themselves without makeup or anything like that. And it was a whole body image thing and be proud of who you are. And that definitely is an underlying theme here, but instead of throwing it in our faces, they kind of tie it into the main story and make it seem like it's part of the story all along. And I love the way that that was written and even drawn in because you could see the emotion in the bot's faces in the art as well. Well, that, and I want to build on that too, because you build on that emotion and everything else, how it's tied in. We've mentioned Starscream and Starscream has this idea of, People have to be perfect. You know, they have to be a certain way. They have to look a and certain way. And Galvatron thing. as well. Galvatron, and Galvatron as well was mentioned, yeah. And Galvatron as well. And I can't think of the term they use off the top of my head, but yeah, as you said, it's kind of like rejects. And, you know, why would I, you know, and then, you know, they say, they tell RC, like, well, why would you want to have that type of mindset? Why do you care about what Starscream thinks about what you look like? Right, and exactly. Else? And Monster and Abomination were used a couple yes. of times to describe 
some of these bots. So again, it goes back to that social commentary, maybe even a little bit of bullying thrown in there as well as a commentary in this issue. And again, that whole Starscream thing, the whole message behind this one shot builds into the reason why RC steals the Enigma in the first yes. place. Yes. Because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if I take this or if I destroy it, there'll be no more abominations. There'll be no more combiners. We'll, we'll all be the way we're supposed to be. And then there, then here comes that whole thing of, well, who are they to tell you who you're supposed to be kind of thing? Exactly. Like you said, it was a very good message that I kind of wasn't expecting, but when we got to it, I was like, huh, wow, that really tied it in. It actually felt like an episode of a series to me, in a way. Yeah. You know how when you'd have the old Transformers, the G1 uh, cartoon, you'd always have, well, not always, but most of the time you'd have a message at the end, or even at the end of like a G.I. Joe. Of course, this is a Hasbro property, so at the end, there's always, they always leave you a little bit of something. I felt like this had a beginning, a middle, nice, meaty part of the plot, and then an end that kind of drove it home. That's why it made this a very good one-shot. Exactly. Well, it's time to give our reviews on this james i'll have you go first what do you give this book well since it's a one shot i don't think you can really pull it but uh, what this does do is it, i would say pick this up but the other thought that i would have is based on this and the fallout of the combiner wars i'd be very interested to start pulling the regular transformers run as well because based on this book it almost seems like okay now i want to know what happens going forward. And I hope that that was the intention of folks at IDW because I think they scored on that. I think they, it's a big score for IEW and people over working on the Transformers runs. Um, here's the thing. The message is great. Again, it doesn't. it's easy in today's day and age to beat people over the head with a certain message here. It's very well placed and it speaks to a lot of the readers. And it's not just one certain group of readers. It's everybody who reads this book. Definitely. It's going to feel the message. Um I think the art was fantastic. The colors by Yamashi were great. The letters by Long were awesome. Again, uh, Sarah Petrie DeRocher, amazing, amazing art. Scott, uh, Marjorie Scott did a, a, a great – Margaret Scott did a, a great uh, oh, definitely. job with the writing. And, again, conveying that message and just doing really, really great – a great, great job with this. Um, it's, it's Again, you can't pull it, but it's a definite pickup for me. And, again, I follow your part where – Seeing everything I have with Combiner Wars and the whole Fallout, this to me I think is a one shot where even if you're somebody who hasn't read Transformers up to this point, you can pick up this one shot at your local shop and then you can follow it going into the next issue, into the regular run. And IDW is saying that Windblade's actually been a very popular character, so you're going to start to see the figures come out. You're going to start to see uh, Windblade worked into anim more animated series and things like that. So if you're a Windblade fan... This is just sort of the beginning of what you can expect. Oh, yeah, and that part, I don't want to give it away, really, but that part where Windblade is just talking to the Combiner is just an amazing, amazing oh, yeah. scene. Oh, yeah. But that's going to do it for what we're reading. Again, we read this week from IDW, our book of choice was Transformers Combiner Hunters, which was the one shot we both said, go pick this up. Coming up next, we're going to enter the realm of gods and monsters, so stay tuned. This week in Geek Tam, it's come up next on Down and Nerdy. Hey, I'm Chloe Dextra, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Okay, nerds, it's time to call those attorneys and get those wills made out because we're going to be talking about Justice League Gods and Monsters this week, DC animated movie from Bruce Tim and Company. And the reason we say that, Nick, 
is, and this is going to be a little bit spoiler heavy, so keep that in mind if you haven't watched it yet, but this by far is one of the most brutal animated movies I think I've ever seen, never mind from DC. Yeah, this is pretty much Bruce Timm's world meets Game of Thrones. Like, legit, it is that. They, they expense, they spare no expense when it comes to showing blood, people being ripped in half, and just deaths in this movie, you would just literally had me saying, no, oh my god. I know there were a couple of shocking deaths, but at one point there was a scene in this movie where there were just bodies dropping left and right, and it reminded me of that scene in Hot Shots part do where they're counting all the bodies yeah. the, the, and they're trying to like break a record for how many people were killed in a movie or whatever. Yeah. It reminded me of that. Cause it's like, wow, bodies everywhere, especially in that, in the house scene later on in the movie. Yeah. That Jesus, that, that house scene. And for people who want to know what the plot is, of course it takes place in an alternate universe where pretty much everybody, they still have Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, but they're different people. For mm. example, Superman, instead of being Jarrell's son, he's the son of Gerald Zod. Batman, instead of being Bruce Wayne, is Kirk Langstrom. And Wonder Woman actually is Becca, right? And instead of Diana Prince. Right, from the New Gods, for those exactly. who are wondering what the hell we're talking about. Exactly. But I think that the cast that they chose to voice these characters is pretty great, too. Benjamin Bratt was the voice of Superman, and uh, Michael C. Hall was the voice of Batman and Becca Wonder Woman was actually voiced by Tamara Taylor. You might know her from Bones. And I got to tell you, my, there was something so right about Michael C. Hall as Kirk Langstrom and Batman. For some reason, it worked on such a different level. Well, because remember, going back to Michael C. Hall and everything he's he's done past and prior, you know, with Dexter, and he has, where he played that kind of scientist-y mm-hmm. guy who isn't afraid to kill. And it's kind of like it's in his wheelhouse. He's a phenomenal actor, but again, oh, yeah. he's playing somebody in Kirk Langstrom and Batman who's in his wheelhouse. And it, it was really great. Like, the, like that's the thing about animation is that you want to get people to vo- to match who these characters look like and what they look like. And when you're watching this and going back to the plot, you know, this is this whole thing where the Justice League is being framed, there's people being murdered in these certain styles and fashions. Like, for example, Ray Palmer gets cut in half. Well, the way they say, well, he, the way that he was cut in half, it looks like Wonder Woman's sword. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, the stones getting killed. And they say, well, it looked like, you know, they were killed by Superman's heat vision when it wasn't. And then, you know, with Victor Freeze, oh, he has bite marks and it resembles a bat, you know, mm-hmm. or a vampire. And it's like, when you find out what's the real cause of this, it's just, it's amazing. Like, it really, really is amazing. And to see the different take on Superman, you know, being, you know, Zod's son. And pretty much say, like, you know, who has the balls to do this? It's like, it's really, in a sense, kind yeah. of refreshing. But in a sense, maybe go back and smile and just be like, wow. It's funny because, and we're not going to give away any of the big plot twists or anything like no. that. Because we definitely want you to go out and, and, and see this. But... There were so many twists in this where they really were early on. You say, okay, I think I kind of see where this is going. But then there's a twist with Wonder Woman's character in a flashback scene that kind of makes you wonder, okay, well, is this who could be behind this? And then yeah. we, we have another character that gets introduced. And, in, well, we can, we can say Lex Luthor. 
yeah. gets introduced, and of course, you think to yourself, well, it's Luthor again kind of thing. The way they introduce the other people in the flashbacks is they set it up where beautifully, beautifully set it up to where anybody in these flashbacks could be the culprit. Yeah, definitely. Like, it, could be somebody, it could be somebody from Wonder Woman's past, could be uh-huh. Superman's past, or even Kirk Langstrom's past. And it's funny because normally you see that kind of done a lot in, in movies and in television, but you see these flashbacks and you go, this has nothing to do with it. This is just, you know, a, a plot device and we're going to move on. But in this one, every flashback served a purpose of suspicion to keep you guessing as things went on. And... I think another thing that the flashbox did is it it humanized every character in this movie and it made you care, especially when some of them died. There was one shocking death in that house scene. Yeah. You're not going to reveal who it is. Actually, there were a couple, if you want to be honest. Yeah. And you, you see it and you go out loud, you're going, no! Yeah. And it actually makes you feel for that person dying. You're like, no, come on. Oh, yeah. And it's, that's just the thing is this... When you watch this, and of course it's a much darker tone, I know people saying, well, how, why do we have to get more darker stuff? It's like, well, this works. Like, It's not like it's doing it to be dark to be dark. And Bruce Timm just does a phenomenal job with the animations and everything else. And you, I like how you mentioned this when we were watching it the other night. You said, don't you notice in the opening sequence with Superman how Jor-El looks like mm-hmm. Clark Kent? from the regular Justice League series. Yeah, I love that there were little winks and nods, and you were even mentioning when there was the protest going on outside the Justice oh, yeah. League Tower, how it's all, we hate the Justice League, and then there's a guy going, Wonder Woman swords, Batman fangs, kind yep. of selling stuff. So he always brings that little bit of something. And the second that this movie started, and I saw the animation, it, my heart just got happy. Because it was like, Bruce Tim is back. I mean, I know we watched the shorts, and he had that 75th anniversary Batman short that he had not too long ago. But when I saw this, and I knew we were about to get a full feature-length movie of Bruce Tim style, I was just happy. It was like the king returning to the castle. Oh, exactly. And it was just, it was just fun. Like, you know, when you watch this, you're like, as you felt, you felt like you're watching the old Batman animated series from the 90s. And it was just... It has this feeling, even the way they did Lois Lane, mm-hmm. where she's this head anchor, you know, on TV, and you know she's kind of. And that's the thing: everybody in this universe has an edge to them. Like the people who are good guys, like Superman and the Justice League and Lois Lane, they kind of toe that line of. Oh yeah, they're right there, that breaking point where they could turn evil or low slain could do something to damage everybody and then it's and that's what's great is it's, it's a total opposite and then you see guys like luthor who honestly towards the end of the movie is like stephen hawking's pretty much it, it was there was a little bit of a stephen hawking slash professor x vibe going on there which i thought was kind of cool the way that they that they perceived uh luthor also at the end of the at the end of the movie we could tell you that there's kind of a hint that maybe we're going to get more. Maybe there's going to be some spinoffs, possibly. We won't tell you with who, but I got to tell you, I would be so down for seeing more of, of these characters. And I, I know that the alternate universe stuff can be tricky sometimes, but this did not feel like 
it was doing it for the sake of doing it. They were telling a legit story here. It had a great flow. It made you care about the characters. It was great development. I just think well done all across the board. Oh, exactly. And I, I like that you mentioned the whole spinoff thing because the extra features, the special features, at least for, I don't know if the difference, I don't watch this on Blu-ray. Uh, I had to, I used the DVD version. And I'm, so I don't know, like, you know how they are, like, if you have yeah. the Blu-ray version, you get more special features. Mm-hmm. Um, but the special feature that we both watch, though, is a little bit of about 11-minute first look at Batman Bad Blood, which is going to be the next thing coming out in the fall it's from mm-hmm. DC and Warner Bros. Animation. And it pretty much deals with, we're not going to go too much into it, but it pretty much deals with Batman being gone and Nightwing taking the mantle of Batman. And don't forget, Batwoman is going to be introduced for the first time in this. And if you watch the special features, Batwing is also going to be part of this movie now as well. So they're really starting to introduce the Bat family little by little. And who is voicing uh, Lucius Fox is none other than Ernie Hudson. That's right. And Yvonne Stravowski is going to be voicing Batwoman. Thank you very much. Yep. But that's a really... connection there, by the way, because she was with Michael C. Hall and Dexter, too. Exactly. And that's a really good, like, you know, it's 11 minutes. It gives you a really good look. Like, you get to look at oh, yeah. you get to look at the animations in motion, like the storyboards. And, you know, so if we te- talked about prior, like, the, our cartoons episode, like, you know, we want to go back to more storyboards and mm-hmm. 2D animation. And this is what it satisfies us in this term. Uh, but to go back to Gods and Monsters, again, I think everything was really great. It's not, and that's the thing, too, as you talked about, too, when we were watching this, you said it's not too drawn out. It's about an hour and, what, like 20, hour 30? Yeah, if that. I mean, like an hour 15 yeah. sort of thing. So it didn't feel like it dragged out. But what it did make me realize is that I don't think I'd ever want to live in Gotham or Metropolis ever. Yeah, pretty much. If you live in Gotham, you'd be like, I need to find insurance. State Farm would just say, fuck you. Yeah, what are you peeing in, Jake from State Farm? State Farm? Uh, khakis? Because, yes. I mean, come on. You could not live there and not fear for your life all the time or get property destroyed oh, yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. Safe, like, again, like, Geico will be like, well, shit, we got another thousand claims because Salman Grundy threw cars at people, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just like, it's kind of like Nick Nolte, like, oh, hell, God, you go. Just a drunken stupor. Like everybody there yep. that would work at the insurance companies have a major drinking problem. 15 minutes could save you 15 per... Oh, we're filing for bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. Could, uh, they'd need a lot more than a gecko to be able to, <laughs> to, be able to push those things. The, the, gecko, right the gecko looked like uh, Mr. Monopoly with his hands out like, eh. Well, I mean, the gecko, I mean, it is Metropolis, so the gecko would eventually morph into this lizard killing machine yeah. that would be destroying Metropolis anyway. Pretty so I'm much. not sure how much of a point there is to that, but I think it's time to give our final ratings for this. We always do when we review something, so I'll let you go first. From 1 to 10, where do you put Justice League Gods and Monsters? Oh, this is an automatic 10 for me because it's, it's this is just one of those things where you watch it and... You don't even have to want, be somebody who grew up watching the Bruce Timm stuff. Mm-hmm. You go into this with the mindset of it's an alternate universe, but it works. Rarely do we see alternate universes work in various forms of media. This works because everybody has an edge to them. The story structure is fantastic. The animation by, of course, Bruce Timm is amazing. The voices match. Uh, there are certain plots and twists. There are some things you see coming, Yeah, but... 
there are things in it with what that happened, like that house scene. You go, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is pretty much Warner Bros. animation and everybody at DC pushing the envelope. And it's a definite 10 for me. I think that, uh, well, first I want to preface this by saying this is not for the kids, okay? We're being serious here. This is not one that you want to let Junior watch. This is definitely for the adults. I think that you brought up a lot of the points that I would have mentioned. I would also say that this movie hits the ground running immediately. They don't waste any time. There's humor where there needs to be humor in there. They inject it. The attitudes of these characters and being on the brink the entire movie I think is fantastic. And I will echo your review as well. I think that this is an absolute 10 for me. And if you listen to this show, even on a semi-regular basis, we don't hand out 10s. We just don't hand them out. No. And also, I believe they're also doing an Injustice Gods and Monsters comic as well. Yeah, they're, they're doing the, the Justice League Gods and Monsters comics. They were available digitally first, which you can get through our Amazon store. Or you can go see Bob at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach and get the print version. That's it for our review of Justice League Gods and Monsters. Coming up next, nerd news. Could Channing Tatum be out as Gambit? We'll find out next on Down and Nerdy. Hi, this is Katrina Law from Arrow, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham and Nick Battaglia. Well, it's that time, nerds. We go around the interwebs and see what's trending, because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And, well, let's just start off with one of the biggest rumors that hasn't been confirmed yet. However, it is looking like Channing Tatum is taking his cards and going home. Yeah, because The Wrap is reporting that they've got inside studio sources that say he's playing to exit Gambit. And it says that actually things are falling apart deal-wise between Tatum and 20th Century Fox. Now, Nick, this isn't just as a star. Remember, he was supposed to be one of the producers of this movie as well. Yeah, he's producing it with his partner, Reed Carolyn. And you mentioned the, the whole thing of this. Where it's the deal. Now, I want to say this. Now, remember, they are set to pretty much film in October. I don't think it's the numbers thing. I think it's more control. Mm -hmm. So I think something tells me that Channing Tatum might want a little bit more control in this. Maybe he wants a little bit more say. And even then, he probably wants more say than uh, Rupert Wyatt, who's actually directing the film. But... This is a big thing. If he yeah. walks away, this could hurt them really, really bad. You said it was supposed to come after Deadpool, correct? Yeah. And they're set to film in October. That's only a couple of months away. We're just heading into August right now. Right. It was an ambitious filming schedule as it is to shoot in October and then be ready in 2016 for after Deadpool. So, I mean, think about that. Any little hiccup in the plan pushes things back possibly significantly. Well, not only that, but we just come off San Diego Comic-Con where Chain Tatum was there on the Fox panel. Granny didn't say anything, but he was just there to be there mm-hmm. wearing the Gambit shirt and everything else. And part of me is just like, again, what could this be? And you brought up something that was pretty interesting. You said, well, what if there's, cause you're still trying to find somebody to work opposite of Chain Tatum you know, maybe like a love interest or whatever. Mm. And you said, well, what if they're screen testing and he's just not good? Yeah, I mean, let's address the elephant in the room here. Why do we assume that it's Channing Tatum? Why why can't it be possible that they're screen testing for the female lead and then as studios do, go behind closed doors, you talk about things after the fact. 
what if when Channing Tatum walks out that door, they kind of look at each other and be like, this guy sucks. He's awful. Yeah. And I'm not saying that he is. I'm not saying that's what's going on. But let's face it. When he was announced as Gambit, we all kind of looked at each other and went, uh, can he pull this off? Yeah. When I heard him, when we broke, well, I mean, I believe Cody was actually, yeah, Cody was here uh, the day that we were, we were recording the show when it was announced that he was playing Gambit. He said, well, why not Lucas Black, who actually can play the music Cajun accent? I don't think so because he's just not, I can't see him as Gambit. But again, it's just, uh, I, if he walks away, this is going to be bad for Fox because not only that, but if you really think about it, like, if you think about it lately with the news, Fox is kind of getting the shit beaten out of them because people are yeah. complaining about the way Apocalypse looks. They're complaining about who the four horsemen are going to be, which I think is a legit argument. Uh, I mean, seriously, you're going to have Storm and Magneto and I know, you know yeah. the four horsemen, really. Yeah. And you're going to pretty much make it more like, well, it's mind control. So you're going to pretty much, I know Apocalypse uses the whole influence thing, but you're going to make it seem more like Age of Ultron where it's yeah. Scarlet Witch kind of thing or even Loki's staff. Anyways. Then you got that. Then you have the whole Fantastic Four fiasco. And then it's just, you know, again, it's, it's just, and this is bad too, because remember, when you think about it, like Deadpool, yeah, kind of in the X-Men universe, more X-Force. But if you think about it, they want Gambit to be able to take that mantle from Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. Right, exactly. And that's why you go get somebody like Channing Tatum and you get a name. And like you said, I don't think just being able to have the accent is important because actors can do accents. Good actors work on these things and they make it. You get dialect coaches. That stuff can be fine. So pretty much anybody that's a good actor can handle that sort of thing. What I'm just, what I'm saying is, first of all, Gambit's solo movie was a stretch anyway. We love the character. I know he's got a cult following. But to give any X-Men character outside of Wolverine a solo movie, I think, is a risk. Well, I mean, you can do Magneto, but again, it has to be one of those big characters. You can't be like, right. you know, we're going to give Rogue her own movie. Or, right, or Storm, know. something like that. Not yeah. that we, Again, not that we don't love these characters, and not that we wouldn't go to Bob's at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach and pick up a Gambit comic or a Storm or what have you. This is a feature film. This is not a television series. This is a movie we're talking about. There's a lot of dollars here. And you saw with Ant-Man what happened there. They're still struggling to try and make budget domestically. So Gambit was going to be a reach anyway. Not that I wouldn't have loved to see it, but now with the turmoil, at what point does the studio just decide to go, you know what, never mind? I I think they're too far into it to say never mind. I think if he... Before we went to the next thing, I just want to say, I think think this will get worked out. I don't think Tatum is going to leave. If he either. does, if he does leave, then I think there. You don't go into a project without a backup, right? You well, like saying? Suicide Squad is a perfect example. Yeah. When Tom Hardy backed out, clearly they had a number two, number three choice that they could go to and say, "All right, well, Plan B, we're gonna we're gonna get you to play Rick Flag instead." So that was worked out pretty quickly. So even if Tatum does leave. You're right. There's got to be a number two in line. Well, hopefully they're number two in line still available because, you know, people just, if you don't get something, you try and book something else. Yeah. So we'll see exactly what they're going to do. I'm, I'm with you. I think this is going to get worked out. But speaking of working out, Netflix, Nick has gone all in on Marvel, and I think we should all be really excited about that. Exactly. So Netflix announced at the Television Critics Association summer meeting on Tuesday that it will be rolling out a new Marvel superhero series every six months. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, this is great. I mean, this is, I mean, I love that they now have this plan. Like, we're going to do this as we set out this, you know, many months in advance or whatever. We have a structure. You know, I love that because Daredevil, as much as you really think about it, it's been a couple of months since Daredevil really hit Netflix, you know? Yep. So, and Jessica Jones is going to hit, hit Netflix, I believe, in the fall. And so then you got, you know, of course, I said, Luke Cage and Iron Fist, and of course they actually did come out and say yes. This is, of course, leading it to the Defenders series. Also, they said, you know what, we're maybe thinking about dabbling into the film area with these characters. Maybe we'll start giving them their own film rights. You know, Punisher's coming along. They said that maybe we'll see a Punisher show, which, yep. would, be co- which would be awesome, and maybe a Punisher movie. Uh, you know. I'd like to see them tackle Ghost Rider if they can get the right, you know. Yes, that was exactly the one that I was going to bring up. When I was I was going to ask you the question, who's not on this list you'd like to see? Ghost Rider is right up there because it is such a cool character that, ah, you know, varying opinions on the movie. I thought the movies were, the first movie was okay. I didn't think it was great. But I think that this is a character that if given to Netflix... They could really do something with it. I don't know what the right situation is for that character right now, but that's one that I look at and I say, that would be one that I would like to see and I think would tie in well. I don't I don't think they have to create a universe here. I think that they can go do other things. Right. But I think, yeah, Ghost Rider would be the first one that I would think of. Right. And I think when you look at this and what Netflix is doing, because again, you have Daredevil... Uh, season two, I believe, is coming out in twenty. What did they say? Twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen is coming I out. I think it's twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. And then you have Jessica Jones. You have Luke Cage, Iron Fist, of course, the Defenders. But again, you see what they're doing. I like what Marvel's doing here. I like that they're saying, you know what? We're gonna take some of our smaller, lesser known characters, really outside of Daredevil, and we're gonna give them to Netflix. We're gonna pretty much subsidy them to Netflix. Yep. Which is kind of what DC did with CW, and again, characters like Green... Well, I mean, aside from The Flash, who's a major character, we know that, but take characters like Green Arrow, put them on TV, give them a series, and see how it works from there. That worked. This works for Marvel, especially, like you said, we've talked about this many times, especially in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're starting to get to that point where it's like, okay, where do we go from here? So is this where we start to see a Miss Marvel come along or something like that? Yeah. I think that this is exactly the venue for things like that. Exactly. I think it's it's and it's great for if you're a comic book publisher because now if you have a lesser-known character, you say Netflix will take care of it and it will be good. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that you look at what they're doing. You said Miss Marvel – who knows, maybe we'll get some other things going on with some of the smaller characters. And it's just, again, it's really a cool time. So I want to go quickly, before we go to our next story, back to Ghost Rider. Who would you cast for Ghost Rider? I, I already know who I want. Oh, wow. I, 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 after, after all this whole thing with John Wick, Keanu Reeves. Ooh, could they get him, though? Probably. The guy still takes the subway. He's one of the most... And the thing is, too, you really thought about Keanu Reeves. He's one of the most caring people in Hollywood. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely see him doing that. I could... De- you know what? That's a good pick. Now that I really think about it, that you, is a good you, pick. And, and people are probably saying, how would you pick Keanu Reeves? Watch John Wick. He's a ruthless motherfucker in that movie. Keanu Reeves he, is not a terrible actor. Can we just get that out of the yeah. way? Yes, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, you know, Speed was awesome. I'm sorry he wasn't 
really, you know, it was not his fault the last two Matrix things were bad. It's not his fault Speed 2 Cruise Control sucked. Well, was, luckily he wasn't even in Speed that's 2 what I'm Cruise saying. Control. So, that's what I'm saying. See, that shows you right there. He's a smart guy. Yeah. Right? He can, he can handle that. Well, you know, speaking of Michael C. Hall, why not him? Because I think... Oh, I think with, with Michael C. Hall... I mean, yeah, he could, but... I don't know. Is he too? Was he one of those guys where he's too wrapped up in in DC? Maybe. Well, I mean, I know that that one of the instincts is to say Charlie Hunnam, but I'm like, no, no, yeah. Charlie Hunnam could not pull this off. Yeah, he was on Sons of Anarchy. No, <laughs> he rode a motorcycle. Shouldn't he be in this? No, just just because he can ride a motorcycle doesn't mean he should automatically be in Ghost Rider. But I know yeah. that's what people might. Some people might have been screaming at us while they're listening to the show. Why not Charlie Hunnam? Uh, because he backs out of everything and. Yeah, no. He just because he rides a motorcycle doesn't mean he's qualified. Well, if Netflix, if Netflix, in, in all seriousness, if Netflix said, "We're okay," if they can, wasn't said, we can bring one character, only one character, or with one series to a guy, a, a character who, you know, hasn't really, you know, had a full-on series or whatever. Who'd you pick? I would love Netflix to pick up Hellblazer. And do oh, a Hellblazer yeah. thing, and if like we were get, gonna let them do a DC series, yeah, yes. and get and get Matt Ryan back in there. I mean, we miss Constantine so much, but yes, moving on, please. moving on to our, we're staying still technically in the Marvel realm. Moving on to our next story, uh, we're going store towards more Lucasfilm, and we both seen Return of the Jedi, of course. Uh, what's your take on Return of the Jedi? Is it you think it's it's the weakest link out of the three? Because a lot of people kind of feel that way. No, I don't think it's the weakest link out of three, but I think when you're doing any sort of finality, yeah. it's not going to be as good. Just like, think about it, going back to the TV realm for a second. The final episode of, of, of a series, the series finale, is never as good as some of the other sh- shows in that series from previous episodes. It's just not. I mean, a lot of series finales have fallen flat. I still love Return of the Jedi, but I think because it was finite, it's not going to be as good as New Hope or Empire Strikes Back. I think that's just the way it is. There's nothing they could have really done about that, but I still think it's a great movie. Yeah, so speaking of Darth Vader, David Prowse, who was the actor who wore the Darth Vader suit in the original Star Wars trilogy, told Equality Magazine that Return of the Jedi has never made a profit according to Lucasfilm. He said, quote, this is a whole quote, I get these occasional letters from Lucasfilm saying that we regret to inform you that as Return of the Jedi has never gone into profit, we've got nothing to send you. Now here we're talking about one of the biggest releases of all time. I don't want to look like I'm bitching about it, but on the other hand, if there's a pot of gold somewhere that I ought to be having a share of, I would like to see it. Mind you, Return of the Jedi has grossed over $572 million worldwide. Here's the deal. Somebody's eating their lucky charms here, and uh, David Prose is not getting a bowl. And I don't understand why that is. There's no way... They give him a bowl, but instead of milk, it's piss. That's right, or feelings. Bring, yeah. bringing that back on the show. Wow, it's been a while since we brought that but, back. But uh, no, seriously, how is there just from the domestic totals alone? Yeah, and the and the number you just mentioned, five hundred seventy-two million dollars worldwide. You mean to tell me that even with profit sharing with other people on this, that that it hasn't turned a profit? Shenanigans. Okay, there is no way. That there isn't some sort of money that could be that could be doled out to the actors that were in this movie. Okay, so I'm looking at Box Office Mojo right now for Return of the Jedi. Production budget thirty two and a half million. 
Domestic total gross, $252,583,617. Okay, adjust for inflation. Domestic- so that $32 million still becomes, what, maybe 60 Maybe yeah. you double it? And still. Then- and then, if you want to add the domestic lifetime, it's it's got over three hundred nine million dollars. Okay, in so so where's the? I mean, you, you see the budget, you see what the movie's made. I don't get it. That's yeah. that's fuzzy fuzzy math at its finest. Yeah. Now I know that net profits are calculated after expenses are factored in, factored in stuff like that, and I know that there's a fair amount of marketing, but marketing values were not nearly as high. Back when this movie was released, me, as they are now. Part of me is looking at the story. Part of me thinks that Lucasfilm is literally looking at Adam and saying, "You're just the guy in the suit. You weren't James Earl Jones. You know, you weren't. You know, what I'm saying like nobody knew who you were, kind of thing. You know, and I'm just like that's very shitty. Like, even though we never saw Boba Fett's face, you still know who the fuck Boba Fett is if you go to a con. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like this I mean, guy was Darth Vader. Yes, he wasn't the voice of Darth Vader, but he played him in the movies. Yeah, you, you just can't do that. And, and again, I want to bring up the whole profits thing because we're not just talking about actual box office numbers here. Think about it. We're talking about Star Wars was released on VHS, then from VHS to DVD, then from DVD to Blu-ray, then just recently for the first time on digital. These are all more times you stick your hand in the cookie jar. So that's profit on top of profit on top of profit. And the marketing costs aren't going to offset what they're making on these. And to back to your point for a second, everybody still knows who Anthony did. Excuse me. Everybody still knows who Anthony Daniels is. Yeah. C3PO. Yeah. You can't, you can't fault the guy in the suit. Okay. Yeah. You just can't. I'm sure Anthony Daniels does okay for himself. People know so who, why is Darth Vader getting screwed? Yeah, people know who Peter Mayhew is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Chewbacca. You know, I mean, it's the thing. It's it's like this, and this is a guy. And the thing is, too, is if you really think about it, every Darth Vader figure you buy, you're buying David Prowse. You no know doubt. What I'm saying? Like, not to mention, it's not just about the voice either. No. Think about that for a second with Darth Vader. Think about the hand movements and this and the way he moved in those in those movies. And just those subtle little things. Body language is sometimes just as important as the voice. And James Earl Jones is going to be that icon, no doubt. But don't think that he didn't have a part in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's just, I just, oh, my God. When I'm just looking at this, man, I just, I don't get it. I really, really don't get it. Give the guy something. I mean, come on. I mean, it's not like you got, I'm not saying you got to go out tomorrow and hand the guy a check for like 10 million bucks. But there's got to be something. But to send him a letter saying it hasn't turned a profit yet, bullshit. That's a dick move. Especially in the internet. Like I said, I just went on the internet and just found the fucking box office for this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a dick move, and I don't really understand what it is. But what's an interesting move, Nick, is something that we found out at San Diego Comic-Con this year about Hawkman joining Legends of Tomorrow. Well, it looks like it's not just going to start there. No, it's not. And of course, this is according to Entertainment Weekly, who I report... Uh, they, they said that Carter Hall, who's a.k.a. Hawkman, he's going to be coming to Arrow and The Flash before he appears in the spinoff DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Now, there was no casting included in the report, and SW, of course, has yet to confirm Hawkman's involvement, but he's going to be involved because you can't have Hawkgirl in there, especially when you go on the route where she doesn't know about her history. Mm-hmm. And there's in a report that said, you know, Hawkman's going to be over 
you know, about 5,000 years old. He's pretty much like going to see, foresee all of the flashbacks and kind of the resurrections. Mm. And so could it be when we say Katie Lotz's, you know, White Canary get reborn, could that be a vision that Hawkman has, you know? It could be. And this still could tie into Vandal Savage, too, who's going to be the big bad for uh, Legends of Tomorrow coming up. I just think that this is very interesting because now we go from not sure whether we were going to have Hawkman to having Hawkman to now is Hawkman the straw that's going to stir the drink to get things moving for Legends of Tomorrow. It's very possible. So what I'm seeing happening is Hawkman shows up to warn Oliver an arrow of what's going of what's about to happen with Vandal Savage and then that's how the group from Legends of Tomorrow gets formed and then Hawkman then intro- gets introduced somewhere later on down the line maybe a few episodes in on Legends of Tomorrow. So that's how I think that that's how that gets the ball rolling. I view Hawkman as, okay, going back to Daredevil real quick, the episode would stick, and he's talking to Goliath at the end of the episode. I view Hawkman as the Goliath, where he's like, you know, kind of like the guy that people kind of report to, or just, you know, he's the guy who sees all this happening in a sense, you know? He he could be, but they've really got to be careful casting this character, because he's he's got an edge... He's got a very cocky vibe to him. You're going to have to get somebody that's going to be able to betray that. Plus, Hawkman's a big dude. You can't ignore that either. And he's one of the most vicious warriors in the DC universe. So you need somebody that's going to be able to bring that cockiness, but also bring that, that meanness to the role, too. So I'm not sure who I would cast just yet, but they're going to have to go out there and get somebody that can take care of all that. By the way, I don't know if you do. You know, do you know who voiced Goliath in that short clip on Daredevil? No, I didn't actually. It's our good friend David Sobolov. Yay! <laughs> that guy, man. That's all yeah. I'm still saying Killing Joke coming yep. out. Yeah. That man to be Batman. He can't get Jason O'Mara can't be Batman in the Killing Joke. No. Okay. He can't. He does a fantastic job. I'm not saying I hate him as Batman. I love him as Batman. But Killing Joke's going to be a separate entity. Yep. Just like Gods and Monsters is a separate entity. I don't want to go too far off on this, but I'm just saying, you need a Batman for Killing Joke. I hear David Sobolov as Batman, and I'll move on from it now. Exactly. But I mean, going back to this, yeah, Hawkman, he's a big dude. You had to have a big guy. You know, I'm not saying I cast, you know, uh, Paul White, who's a big show in this, but I mean, you know, he, he's he's a very built guy. You can't really have him, you know, svelte looking. But the thing is, too, is remember, he's got to be the all-knowing guy. You have to have right. somebody who can portray that. You kind of need, it's kind of like this. You need somebody to have that Raiden, that Lord Raiden-esque mindset, but mm-hmm. also the, like, build of, you know, whomever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it has to be, almost guy. be like like a like a Batista, Dave yeah. Batista type yeah. build. Yes, yes. That's but, Dave Batista, but he has to have that Lord, has to have that Lord Raiden wisdom as kind of mentality. And he has to have the cockiness and brashness of uh, Adam Copeland, who was Edge. Not to give you another wrestler reference, but you've got to combine all of those things into one person. So I know that maybe we're trying to make this sound more difficult than it actually is. It is difficult. Yeah. Trust me, this is something that they're going to have to get right because. I know he's not one of the major characters in the DC universe, but this is one of those things where people like me, if they don't get the right guy, are going to go, I don't know. Yeah, and by the way, Ab Copeland also playing Ab Smasher as well. And that's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Come up next, we have our main topic. We're talking about the word nerd. Do we, is it still considered an insult in today's 
uh, society. We'll find out that more here on Down Nerdy. This is comic book writer Nancy Collins, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. I think we could all proudly call ourselves nerds at this point, but I know that there was a time in all of our lives where we were called a nerd and it had that sting behind it. And no matter how old you are, I know Nick and I are 10 years apart. What we're trying to figure out is when somebody calls you a nerd today, is it still an insult? Is, is it still that dirty word? So we're going to dive into that right now. Now, Nick, I know the first time you were called a nerd, I'm sure, was sometime in your childhood. And how did it make you feel the first time somebody actually called you a nerd or a geek? Uh, growing up in my life, I was, I'm not going to lie. Growing up, I really wasn't really called a nerd a lot because a lot of the friends I, I was friends with – we're into the same stuff I was. Like we're all the Power Rangers. We're all into you know Pokemon stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I was called many more horrific things growing up, but uh, you know, growing up, of course, you, you you know you see on television or whatever in the '90s being called a nerd. You know, you had the stereotypical glasses, checkered shirt, asthma inhaler, pocket protector. You know, and it, it, it I know a lot of people it, it hurt. Uh, growing up now, I don't, I see it as, as it's changed where, you know, to the point where it's not much of an insult anymore. Like I call myself a nerd and I, mm-hmm. and if, you know, I self, I have no problem calling myself a nerd. And when I, even when I like meet girls and I tell them like, I'm a nerd and then like comic book or like smart, I'm kind of like, that's what more, that's what, that's what pisses me off even more. Yeah. Like those I'm, are not like, mutually exclusive by yeah. the way. Yeah, they're like, and I'm like, that's what I think is very insulting today is when you ask somebody, it doesn't have to be a girl, but just anybody, you say, or you just tell somebody, I'm a nerd. And I say, the Jeopardy type or the comic book type? It's like, why the fuck can't it be both? Why can't I just be smart and like comic books at the same time? You yeah, know? it can be both. So, I mean, I think that that's one distinction that we need to get out of the way right now. Now, as you were a child of the 90s, I was a child of the 80s. So back then, the stereotypes were even higher, especially for me. I wore glasses when I was younger, as I know you did as well. Yeah, the atomic so wedgies and the that, hallway. That did not help. And remember, I grew up in the era of the Revenge of the Nerds movies as well, which kind of furthered that stereotype of what a nerd was supposed to look like. So when when I got called the nerd when I was a kid, it... it, it bothered me at certain times because yeah I still had my friends that were into the same things that I was and I played sports and I was I was active in sports and stuff like that as well as my comic books and my animation and my TV stuff but yeah in the 80s it was definitely tough to be a nerd because it was not accepted at all so when somebody called you a nerd they meant it as an insult and that was one of those things that could make you feel bad about yourself and it was almost a kind of bullying to call yourself a nerd now you should always be proud of who you are, but I think as society has changed, we're allowed to be more accepting of certain things, and I think for some reason, and maybe it's the success of what's happening in Hollywood, being a nerd is becoming easier and easier as we go along here. Exactly, and that's the thing is that, you know, growing up in the 90s, again, you know, I wasn't really exposed to, you know, oh, you're such a nerd. Because, again, the people I grew up with, I, and I think that's the, the beauty I think was growing up in the 90s was because it was a that's when the big, cult, not culture clash, but that's when Hollywood started putting out a lot mm-hmm. of nerdy stuff. Like, mm-hmm. 
you know, you mentioned the Bruce Tim animated series, you know, you, you know, Power Rangers, everything else. So it was hard as a kid growing up to not get involved in that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the term nerd nowadays, and I mean, I asked, this, I asked this on my, you know, some of my friends on my personal Facebook page, you know, what do you guys, what do you people think about it? And they say, well, it's not much of an insult anymore. We don't view it as an insult, you know. And again, I think it's just a fact of, okay, a nerd, you know, instead of, it's, it's being comfortable with it because it's kind of like, you know, when someone calls you a nerd, it's like, yes, I am smart. Yes, I have an imagination. Yes, I, you know, read. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like, it's it, we've grown up in, in this era now where people are not ashamed of who they, to be who they are and enjoy the hobbies that they are. Because you really think about it, you know, we're not getting hammered, we're not doing drugs, we're reading comics, you know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. And I mean, nobody's ever, you know, there's certain groups that never really had to experience this. Nobody ever said, why don't you go pick up a football, jock? Yeah. Or anything like that. That, that just never happened. And I think that, you know, being punished for being smart and being punished for liking some something that someone else doesn't like is something that I'm glad is kind of going away now, and I guess we do kind of have Hollywood to thank, and for in in a certain manner, social media and cosplay becoming more of a thing, I think has really helped out because sometimes you just need to see people who are who you are, and I think when you see somebody cosplaying your favorite character, or if you're cosplaying a character as well that's maybe opposed to that character, and you know you have you stage your fight scenes and stuff like that, and you get your pictures taken, and you go to cons and stuff like that, I think that that's been important for the evolution of this of this word because it's it's making what made it okay. One of the things that made it okay, I think, was being able to see. That there are more people just like you, and I think that that's helped with social media, and that has helped with the cons becoming bigger, and there being more of them as well. Exactly, and, and again, it's all accessibility. Because that's here's the thing about anything really in life: people will hate and bash things they don't understand. Back in the '80s and in the '90s, nobody really understood. Being a nerd, you know, and getting to this stuff, you know, grandkids did because you grew up with it. But if you're like growing up in the 90s and the 90s, you're 20, 30 years old, you're even late teens, you're like, man, fuck these people. I don't know, you know, you're, and it's more sensible, you just don't understand it. So you see how people act towards people who are nerdy back then and you follow suit. Here, with social media, with cosplay being as big as it is, with the cons being as big as it is, with Hollywood going balls deep into these superhero and nerdy realms, you know, it's okay. Like, it's cool to be walking in a grocery store and seeing somebody rocking a Star Wars t-shirt, yeah. you know? And, you know, the other day, I was, just yesterday, I was walking in a store and a guy had on a Star Wars t-shirt, and I said, dude, that's an awesome shirt, and I have my Batman shirt on, and he said the same thing. And it's just one of those things, you know what I'm saying, where I think now, because of social media and because of just the overall people seeing this community for what it is as a loving community, we're seeing people who maybe have been nerdy back in the 90s and 80s who maybe have hated on other nerds, even though they were like that because they didn't want to be viewed as that way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they and I know that... I know that trend, trendy nerds are, are popping up too, so now the culture that we've loved is being adopted by people who don't really view it the same way that we do and don't embrace it the same way that we do. And the difference here is, is for us, 
Sure, that's not cool, but at the same time, we're not going to get all bent out of shape about it. We're not going to listen to them when they criticize the things that we love, but we're not going to go up to them and say, really, you're going to wear a Batman shirt, really, and start quizzing them. No, I don't do that because to me, that's no better than really what was done to us when we were being called nerds and we were being called geeks. I don't like the trendy nerd thing. But people are just going to jump on the bandwagon of a lot of things. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, it's kind of like that old stigma from back in the day that nerds don't have sex. Exactly, because, yep. Because pretty much what it gets down to is, like, you know, you're, you're, you're hanging out with these people, and they're saying, yeah, I remember this time when you were talking about all their hookups. And you say, I remember this time I hooked up with a girl, and then they say, go, they look at you, because you, they know you're bullshitting, and they say, Really? Well, what does like this part of a woman's body look like? What does that look like? You know, and it's just like that's what it really is. If you go to somebody as a nerd who's wearing a Superman shirt, and they might be a trendy nerd, and you go and say, "Well, what is Superman's real name?" Da 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 da. That's what you are. Yeah. You're pretty much questioning somebody's like, you know, you know, what I'm saying that's what you're doing. In, in a sense, it's like that's not cool, dude. Like I know we did a trendy nerd episode. You know, I don't hate trendy nerds. I don't like it. I think it, it's it bad. It makes me roll my eyes a little bit, okay? I'll yeah. admit it. It's just like I see certain people, and it, this is go, this goes for men and women, okay? I, I And it, going back to your point to going out to stores and stuff like that, I see certain people where I see them wearing Marvel shirts or DC shirts, and I look at them and I go, really? <laughs> Really? You don't care about this. <laughs> but I'm not going to go up to him and be like, you need to burn that now because you know nothing. No, I'm not going to do that. I don't do that kind of stuff. So You're not down for the cause. That's right. Exactly. I just think that we, we've always been more accepting because we know what it's like to be on the other side. So I think that's one of the other reasons that the term nerd is being more widely accepted. And why I think when my son grows up and he adopts some of my nerdiness, probably not all of it, but when he adopts some of my nerdiness, it's going to be so much better for him because of all the things that have gone on in the last 10 or 15 years that have kind of evolved the term and made it sort of okay to be a nerd. And it's not an insult anymore. If somebody were to call me a nerd with that sting behind it, I'd be like, really, dude? Because we're ruling the world right now. Yeah, so. that's, that's the thing. It's like, somebody goes to me and goes, nerd! I'm like, yes, I have an imagination. I, I literally, not going to bullshit you. There was this time I was talking to this girl. I wanted to date her, right? And we were starting to get to know one another. And again, there was a part of me, and it's kind of sad even now. It's kind of like this when I'm talking to certain girls where I'm, who I'm interested in, and I'm like, Oh God! Drop the nerd card. It's like dropping the V card, but you know, nerd. Anyways, it's kind of like that. And so I'm talking to this girl. And I said, and she says, "Oh, I'm such a nerd." And I said, "Oh, I go, you know, do you like comics? Do you like this?" I go, "I'm a big comics fan." You know, are you big into like you know education stuff like that? And she goes, "Oh no, not like that kind of nerd." And she was just like, "That pretty much is it." And she goes, "Wow, you're such a nerd." And I'm like, and I, I literally talked to her i said yes i go i'm sorry that i have an imagination and that i love art and that i love storytelling fuck me for having imagination you know see i think that that's still where kind of we've got a little bit of ways to go and is in the dating world yeah i think that 
that's when stereotypes really start to show yeah. is in the dating world where you say to somebody, Oh, I love to read. And you say, okay, well, that's cool. What do you like to read? And you say comics and they go, Oh, yeah. really? Cause just because my books have pictures in them doesn't make them less intelligent than the things that you read. Okay. There's a lot of intelligent reading in comics and look who I'm talking to. Our audience knows that. But, I mean, there's a lot of smart reading in there. And even the fantasy novels and stuff like that, there's a lot of smart reading in fantasy and in sci-fi. And it brings that imagination in. So just because when you say you love to read, when you tell somebody it's comics, that shouldn't be a turnoff. You, no. you cannot be into that. That's fine. You but don't, don't have to be into somebody. it. Right. Don't try to belittle somebody. Like, when I, like I said, the girl I was talking to then, I, when I said that, she literally made it seem like, I was an asshole and I was, she was belittling me. And that's why I went at her. I'm like, you know, I thought you were a cool chick, but yeah, you know, fuck that. You know and what I mean? You know what? It works both ways too. Cause guys do it too. Oh yeah. But I mean, I, but I don't date guys. So I mean, I can't Right. But I'm that. just saying for the sake of this discussion, people right. are probably saying like, well, it's not just girls that do it. I no, know it's that everybody. it's, it goes both ways. Absolutely. Because I've seen guys do it to girls as well. We have, we have uh, female friends that are nerds that have, told us about similar experiences yes. with guys and it's just it's not cool and i don't think that people understand that when you're dating you don't have to love all of the same things that the person that you're dating loves you don't yeah. but respect it again That's all that matters again your wife is really, really totally in the comics but she doesn't mind coming home and seeing you brushing the batman caves on your figures that's right she doesn't care and there's certain stuff that she's more into then I am, and that's fine. But I still, I'll ask her about it, and I'll embrace it. And I want, you know, I make, I make fun of her in general because that's just kind of the relationship that <laughs> well, we have. Well, you're, well, plus you're a dick. Yes, I am. When it comes right down to it, yes, I am. Uh, but no, that, that's what I don't understand. There, there are certain things. There are deal breakers in, in dating, and I don't, I don't want to get too, too off the rails. But this kind of works into what our discussion. There are deal breakers when you date, like whether or not somebody wants to have children, or for some people it's religious beliefs. Or if like, somebody smokes or yeah, exactly. Too much. N somebody being into comics or being a nerd shouldn't be a deal breaker no. in a relationship, okay? No, it's like you know, somebody being into comics or whatever. It's like somebody saying, you know, how, that's the thing. Like, how is is you know being into comics different than saying like I'm a big sport or I'm into sports? Okay, let me break this down for you. Because uh, I'm a big sport. We're both big sports fans, too. Fantasy football is just Dungeons and Dragons, but with fucking sports. <laughs> exactly. That's all it is. It's like, I'm using my level, my first round pick, which is like a level one Sean McCoy against the Bills this week. You know, that's every all time, you're fucking doing. Every time you make a selection, you're dropping a magic card on the table. Okay. Pretty I'm much. sorry. Yeah. And you're trying to beat the people that are going against you. So it's not all that different. Let's just point that out right now. Yeah. But I just think that it just going back to the original uh, point, it doesn't have that bite that it used to. I no. don't think it's totally okay yet. I don't think we're totally there, but it certainly doesn't have that. When I hear somebody call me a nerd like that, I don't feel like it's a shot anymore. And I don't want people to think that, are you really comparing this to the struggles of somebody being transgender or something like that? Don't even think that's where we're going. Because I know how society is nowadays. Yeah. Don't even think that we're trying to make those comparisons. I want to point that out right now. 
everything is different. This is just a tunnel vision discussion of being called a nerd, okay? So I don't want to get a ton of emails saying that we're trying to compare this to other things. That's not what's going on. What I'm saying is, is that there are struggles from different groups of people. And whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, being a nerd has been one of those struggles, especially for somebody like me who's a little bit older, who's been dealing with this a little bit longer. And for those people who are my age or older, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And when somebody sees me as a 36-year-old man wearing my Batman shirt or wearing my Harley Quinn Mad Love graphic novel cover t-shirt. They think, whoa, what a jackass. Or they look at me and they say, really, dude, grow up. Well, really? How come you're not wearing it at 40? Well, no, it's like, it's kind of like, too, if you're somebody who's 40 years old wearing, like, a Black Sabbath t-shirt or a band t-shirt or, like, or especially if you're wearing like one of those World Tour t-shirts that has like World Tour 73 has all the things on the back. How is that different from me wearing a Spider-Man shirt you know, or something like that, you know? And the thing that gets me is is that there's that whole grow up mentality that, that you kind of get with when older people do that. But I think, you know, when did you stop having fun? Well, remember, you got to think about this too. Nerd isn't just for comics. There's sports nerds. nerds there's music nerds. There's people who... There's book I listen nerds to, in general. There's people who I listen to, like, uh, on, on radio shows or whatever, speak about, you know, bands like... I, I love, like, Black Sabbath and everything else. And they just know the history and all these yeah, people. Yeah, and, and that's I'm, I'm great. Like, I, don't, I don't know this, but I'm like, it's interesting, you know? My, my wife is a huge political nerd. She's a huge history nerd. There's actually a Facebook page called Liberty nerd where they mix politics and comic book stuff it's interesting and freedom yeah it's very cool so i mean there's not just one specific kind of nerd and that's the thing about nerds we embrace that sort of thing because once when somebody's into something that much and they know that much about it you sit down and talk to a person like that it's interesting. I could sit down for hours, not just because she's my wife, and listen to my wife talk about history and about politics because she's so knowledgeable and she knows stuff that even I don't know. So I start to get interested when I'm when I'm listening to her t- and I'll hear her talk to other people and I'm literally just sitting there taking it all in. Yeah. Just stuff like that can be very cool. So like you said, that's a great point that there are other kinds of nerds. And when somebody says to me, I'm a nerd, I don't say, oh, well, what kind of nerd? I just start talking to them. Yeah. You know? Because I'm like, okay, my people, here we go. Let's talk. Yeah. And maybe you learn something. That's part of being around a nerd, too. Yeah, and it's just like, it's totally fine. Like, And that's the thing, you know, when you look at the term nerd, there's just so many of them. There's so many different types of nerds. And that's the thing, is like, we're living in an age where, like with social media and everybody has a voice now. Grant, some people shouldn't really be voicing yeah. their opinions on social media. <laughs> but... Here's the thing, you're still they still are, and they're still showing passion. That's what being a nerd is. I think being a nerd is being passionate about something. That's what it's evolving into. I yeah. think that that's where we're at right now. In 2015, that's where we're at. So that is the bring it on home point right there. Yeah. It's being it's a new way of saying that you're passionate about something, and that's one of the reasons where it's starting to become okay. Exactly, exactly. That's going to do it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Many thanks to everybody who listens all over the world, all you fans. It's great. 
Thanks to Bob or Fancy Escape Comps and Cards for just sponsoring us every week. We thank you, Bob, for all your support. Uh, again, here's some ways you can fit. We're all over social media, people. So here's some ways you can hit us up. We're on Twitter, of course, at DonNerdy757 on the Twitter. I'm at Merkel1Arm. James. I'm at James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. Don't forget, we're online, downandnerdypodcast.com. Brand new website. We actually launched a brand new feature last week. It's called This Week, where basically you'll click on the This Week section. It'll tell you all about what's going on on that week's show. It'll tell you what we're reviewing for Geek Tame. It'll tell you what comics we reviewed. It will tell you what's going to be coming up, or at least hints on what's coming up on Nerd News, what we're talking about with our main topic. If you bookmark that page, you will never miss a new episode, and you'll always know what's going on. So that's downandnerdypodcast.com. Click on This Week, bookmark it, and you're good to go. It'll play the new episode automatically for you as well. Exactly, and also we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy. Also on Gmail at downnerdypodcast, uh, gmail at downnerdy.gmail.com, wherever the fuck it is. Yeah, downnerdypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what you were going for. We've got so many things, so it's just hard to keep it on. I mean, we're well, on iTunes as well. Search, yep. for down, search for Down and Nerdy Podcast on yes. iTunes. Down and Nerdy Podcast on iTunes. And also, we have a toll-free number you can call the Give us your fan questions and comments, 757-512-8229. When you hear James's delightful voice telling you to leave a message, please leave a message and don't hang up because thinking that, well, the lines are busy, just leave a message. We'll get we'll, talk, we'll answer your question right on the air for you. And also, our online store, Amazon.com. Go to our website, DonnerryPodcast.com. Click in the bottom right corner. It takes you to our Amazon store. Anything you buy in there helps support us and the show and the website as well. So, again, go there, shop with us. It's totally safe and sufficient with Amazon. Also, James, you want to talk about something new we might be doing next week? Yeah, we're actually going to be launching a new feature on the website. It's either going to be this week or next week where we've got so many great things going on behind the scenes that are going to allow us to read a lot more comics for you. And we're going to actually launch another review section that will be added to the website in the next couple of weeks. Nick and I will each have our own blog that we're going to do co- weekly comic book reviews. So not only will we have what we're reading on the show, we're going to have what we're reading on the website as well. So to give you a little bit of extra content so you can read one review while listening to another. So it's like two birds right there. Exactly. And the thing people say, well, how long are the reviews going to be? Well, we want to keep them about three paragraphs each. We're going to be broken them, breaking them up into like, you know, Different things, you know, writing, art, and then a conclusion, and plot, and so on and so forth. Uh, we got thank you to everybody behind the scenes for making this possible uh, with these reviews. And they're going to be, you want to know when they're coming out. They're actually going to be coming out, the, these blogs and reviews we're going to be writing. Uh, we're still going to be doing what we're reading on the show, but those going to be on our Friday show, of course, on our podcast. But, however, you can actually read the reviews we do for different comics every Wednesday starting at 6 and 7 o'clock. Mine will be going up at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays. James will be going up at 7 on Wednesdays. And it's kind of, we want to do that because, well, there's new comic book Wednesday, so we mm-hmm. kind of want to do that on that day, and it fits so perfectly. And keep in mind, that's always going to be on the website first as yes. well. So you might even be able to get a little bit earlier on the website. So always, always, always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Exactly. And as we head into August... We have a lot, a lot of interviews being lined up Can't for us in August. Can't wait to tell you what we've got coming, seriously. Exactly. But as always, I'll leave you with this piece of advice, nerds of all kind. Impressive comic book reading, always bagging board your comics, your CDs, anything that keeps your nerd heart happy. Protect those things like a motherfucker. See you next week, everybody.